0: Okay, so uh, as we go forward in the book of Proverbs, um, we are in the, remember Proverbs 9 sort of was a dividing line that it it changes gears a little bit, that Proverbs, the book of Proverbs becomes a bit more about what you think of when you think of Proverbs. And so as we're now in Proverbs 14, we're just going to kind of be clicking through these uh, reading these Proverbs, absorbing some of them. I'll stop and talk about a, one or two of them as we go, but we're in Proverbs 14, uh, trying to go at least a chapter a week, and, and as we go, uh, and maybe taking breaks along the way as Christmas and, and, and New Year's arrives and comes up in Advent, we may take a break from Proverbs, uh, but you know, we, our goal is to get through the book, uh, and then um, we can say that we've read the entire book and been with it. It's a lot of chapters, right, in Proverbs, but Uh, This is good to do. We've got plenty of time to pause and consider the Word of God. Okay, Proverbs 14. Uh, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back. But the lips of the wise will preserve them. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding." Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. I was going to pause there uh, after verse 9. I wanted to talk about verse 9 a little bit. But there is a good amount of, of course, wisdom in each, each one of these and you almost do sense a theme, perhaps, as we're going through this, This, as we spoke earlier uh, in Proverbs, that their Proverbs is going to bounce back and forth between two ways, a way of death, a way of life, a way of, of, um, of folly, and the way of wisdom. So you see that manifest itself in, in these various verses. Um, we have um, also, it looks like, Some hints, some ideas of how to be faithful in our vocations, and to work, and to take care of things. Um, There in verse 4, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Uh, That's a fun one to kind of think about. Um, What what do you all see in that one? Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox, it kind of rhymes. This is the Dr. Seuss proverb. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you think that Solomon is trying to get us to ponder or to contemplate? I mean, what kind of lessons are there here? If you have, if you don't have any animals, everything's clean. It's sparkly and nice, but you don't have any crops. Okay, that's okay. That that's true. Um, and kind of on that, it might appear that your life is okay. Yeah. hmm Yeah. 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 You know, it, it's funny. Um, when I first arrived at Emanuel, they said, "Oh, goody! We're very happy that you're young, and smart, and good-looking, and have a lovely and most beautiful wife. Your children never disobey you. We're so impressed by you." <laughs> Because you're going to attract young families, right? Yeah, whatever. Okay, so if that's the case, thanks be to God. But if not, so then, you know, the Lord had seen fit that some families showed up with kids and they come to the church service and what do people start saying? It's messy in here. <laughs> What's with all the noise? Well, if you don't have any ox, right? If you don't have any animals. Um, but yeah, this can be a temptation. This can be a... Uh, a difficulty, but it's you know it's not something to ignore, right? We do have to teach discipline. We do have to teach what the right um, uh, posture before the Lord is and in His house. But it was just funny, and I laughed, you know. Um, and this this song, this proverb, uh, really reminded me of that. Um, but it's to contemplate and to think, you know, about our vocations and work, and working hard and um, you know, uh, I also in college, I got in trouble, um, because my mouth was running a little too much and it was for a good reason. It was for a good reason. And it was a disagreement between me and another person. And, uh, then it, kind of, it wasn't bad, right? It's just whatever. And another thing. And I, I just said, you know, I, I was talking with an adult, a faithful Christian adult that I admired. And I said, you know, I tried to do a lot of things here. It was at the Lutheran Student Center. I said, I tried to do a lot of things here, but I'm just running into all kinds of trouble. You know, it's difficult. And that person said, well, this is kind of vulgar, I guess. Uh, They said, the most active animals make the biggest messes. And I thought, "Hmm. that's kind of like these ox, right? Uh, You know, in in working and being involved, life is messy. And in particular, when we're in the church, um, it's not an admonition. It wasn't approval of the sins that I had committed and things that I have done. But it's to remember, you know, when you're dealing with life and people, uh, it can get messy and it gets hard and it calls for a lot of patience and repentance, especially life in the church. You get involved in people's lives and you help and you love one another. Um, It gets hard, gets tough. It's also, I think it's a good also picture of marriage, right? It's, mm-hmm. it, it's, a, it's a tough thing. It gets hard. And when you're around each, you know, one, another sinner, you know, both uh, husband and wife, it, it gets hard. And in families, ch- a child uh, and, and parent, you know, it, it gets hard and you have to deal with a lot of sin. And that's why we need to remember to, to start everything off in repentance and forgiveness and confession and then maybe you know we can um, have the ox and 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 a clean manger (laughs) Uh, if we in our relationships with people in our vocation if we do it with confession and repentance confessing to one another and and forgiving as as we have been forgiven Um, so I think this one has a lot of application It's, it's kind of fun uh, actually, I thought um, it caused me to pause as I was reading through it and uh, to think that it's, it's almost talking about two. It's like a paradox, right? Um, yeah, things might be clean, but, but you don't have abundant crops. Okay, uh, the next one uh, in verse nine is, I thought, quite interesting, too. Um, Fools mock at the guilt offering. But the upright enjoy acceptance. The guilt offering in the Old Testament was a sacrifice that you had to make when you sinned against God's, well, when you sinned against God, but then in particular, you then had to make restitution. You had to, if you, um, so an example, some of the things would be like, if you did some, you touched something that was unholy, there's an example of a, 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 somebody who'd taken a Nazaritic vow and they touched a dead body. Uh, this was considered, a, they had to make a guilt offering because they had transgressed against one of God's holy laws of not touching a dead body while under a Nazaritic vow. And so then you had to make restitution. You had to make a, a guilt offering. It also was for if you break something of somebody else's, you sin against somebody, and you can, right? If, if I um, you give me a, a, an, a pen to borrow and I break the pen or I lose the pen, I would m- make a guilt offering and then also buy you a new pen and then give you 20% money on top of that, the value of the pen. So the guilt offering mainly is this sort of this idea that the Christian understands when they sin, there's more involved than just what is face value. That there is an aspect of faith, right? So fools mock at the guilt offering, meaning fools and fools, another word for unbeliever, somebody who doesn't live by faith They will think you're ridiculous, right? Oh, I bought you a new pen. That should be enough. But the Christian says, no, I know that it's not just about the pen. I know it's something bigger. I know I sinned. There's something greater, a bigger problem that has happened here. Now, this was for Israel, right? This was for the nation of Israel. This doesn't necessarily apply to us. But the perspective the idea, the wisdom here in Proverbs 14.9 is this idea that, yeah, fools mock at the guilt offering. Why would you give them 20% more? You bought them a new pen. Well, the Christian knows it's not about the pen. It's about sin. Right? And we recognize and see by faith more than what's just in front of us. right? But the upright, right? they enjoy... What's, what's another word we could put for acceptance? Yeah, if, yeah, good. Forgiveness. Any other words? Reconciliation. Yeah, being reconciled. Yeah, this, this idea that, you know, when when we do something wrong to somebody, um, we, when we sin. Right. This is what David recognized when he murdered Uriah, right? Do you remember what David said? He said, against you only, Lord, against you have I sinned. He knows, right? He knows he murdered Uriah, and he knows he was responsible for it. But he also recognizes this idea that every sin that we commit against each other is a sin against God. And so that peace of knowing that we are accepted or reconciled before God Right, that he has forgiven in us the worst of sins, um, and that we have that joy of, of acceptance, um, then we can also then share that, that same joy with others. So there in that the reason why that verse really I think is important in chapter 14 is because of that, they they didn't, Solomon didn't just say fools mock at, at faith. Right? Fools mock at the guilt offering, that, that he specifically labels out a particular type of offering and sacrifice that was given in the Old Testament. Solomon's trying to say something, trying to teach us, that we don't take... Um, there's that hymn, right? Oh, you who take sin but lightly. Right, what hymn is that? I wish we had somebody who knew the hymns and knew music. <clears throat> Not mentioning any names. <laughs> oh, you who I think it's a. I think it's a. He's ignoring me. I think it's a Lenten hymn. Oh, you who take sin but lightly. Um, that that's a that's a that's a. Yeah, stricken, smitten, and afflicted. Thank you. And yeah, it's an old hymnal. Yeah. Um, oh, you right uh, that. Ye who think of sin but lightly. And this is interesting, too, because the the, the, the passage, right, Isaiah 53, that that hymn is, is based on, Isaiah 53, Jesus is also called, right, the guilt offering. Um, right? That uh, he is offered, right, he is, I mean, you, you think about it. The, the Bible says a man cannot die for the sins of others. We, we can't just have a man die for us. He has to be God, right? And that divinity of Jesus is that 20%, right? That, that 20% on top of what's, what's needed, you know, that, and, and that we have, we have transgressed against God's holy holiness. We, we have, you know, we have done these things. We've sinned. Uh, and Isaiah 53 calls Jesus, you know, this, this sacrifice. It's this particular, this guilt offering. So even Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, the prophet picks up on this. And uh, of course, you know, look at this verse Christ- Christologically, right? Fools mock at the guilt offering that God provides for us. And right, it's not that we've, it's not that God has offended and done something to us. Right, but we're the ones who've done something to him. And he's then the one who offers and gives the sacrifice. It's a pretty cool picture. Uh, it's pretty good. So that we might enjoy uh, his acceptance. So, just even uh, there, verse 9, that, um, a wonderful lesson and appointing of us in wisdom to, to Christ. Any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, I bring it up. I still bring it up. Yeah, that was a precious and special pin. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the twenty percent, man. Although, yeah, <laughs> although inflation, right? Yeah. Okay, verse ten. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Now this has been mentioned before, but this is good. Uh, Verse 12 for us to pause here and to contemplate this one too. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the the way to death. And this, I think, is, this sums up life pretty good in our fallen flesh. The good that, that I don't want to do, that's what, you know, St. Paul voices us in Romans. You know, that's, you know, the things I don't want to do, that, that's what I keep. I think that's the right way, right, so often, so many times. Um, but what should this verse encourage us to do? Verse 12. Are we tempted in the same way? Do, we think, do you think this is a, a unique temptation, or is this, is this a pretty big deal? What should it motivate us to do in life when we consider ways and paths in which we should go? Right, what are, you know, the ways that seem right to a man, it's kind of almost an encouragement to contemplate and think of... Ah, how do we evaluate, where do we go for wisdom and guidance when we're trying to per- pick a particular way in life, in going, and even just everyday life? They say Google. Google. <laughs> <laughs> Only if your Google search starts off with like, what does the Bible say about blank? Yeah, there's a way that seems right to a man that our sinful flesh that's going to be with us until we die is always going to go in the wrong direction, but it thinks with every fiber of its being it's right. Mm -hmm. Yes, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Usually, yeah. really, right? All those things that are really hard for us to learn about the first shall be last and the last shall be first and how Jesus came to serve. It's, it's almost as though you have to flip, I think, I don't know,
1: everything on its head that we're mm-hmm.
0: taught and that we see around us. Yeah. It's really hard to do, but that's what we're called to do, right? Isn't that what Jesus did? Yeah. Everybody wanted Jesus to rescue them you know, as, a, as a, you know, an earthly leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's sort of a, that's like a lifelong journey, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and I, you know, and, and let's, you know, t- that's exactly right. And we take that mentality. And how do we apply that? How, sh- how should we apply that? When I was in college and taking an economics course, I think it was economics. I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. And uh, I just go where they tell me. Um, and it was talking about investing. And the professor said, OK, who would you rather have? Would you rather have an, a portfolio manager, an investing firm that's wrong 95% of the time or is right 25% of the time? And of course, everyone's like, oh, 25%. And I mean, I was kind of thinking about it too, and I said, no, I, I think the 95%, because what do you do? You do the opposite of what he says, right? And so, with our flesh, right, and with us, you know, with us being tied to our sinful flesh so that without the help of the Holy Spirit, we are, our will is bound to do what we want. When your first reaction is your flesh telling you to do this, you just do the opposite. But even the scriptures say, well, you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit also many times, a lot of times is that first voice that tells you what you should do. A lot of times it's our flesh that then steps in and says, oh yeah, but that might be hard. Right? Oh, yeah, but you might get embarrassed. Oh, yeah, but you remember what they said about you three years ago when they talked to your sister-in-law's cousin and they said that about your dog. right? That's usually the way it goes. Um, but my point is that what is the practical use of this is to first go to the Word of God. There is a way that seems right, but its way is death. Where should we first go? Well, we should first... Guide our life by God's word. Does God's word say something? This is why the table of duties is such a blessing in the small catechism. What does the Bible say I should do in this situation? But a lot of times that's not our first reaction. It should be. But then to say, hmm, all right, where, where should I start? What's the foundation I should work from here so that I know... It's, I'm not following something that seems right to me, right? Because here, this person, their judge is their own heart, their own mind, instead of the Word of God. So, w- what does God's Word say in this situation? And we get that by how? Yes, opening our Bibles, Googling with what does the Bible say on it. But what else has God give, given you? Prayer. What else? Fellow Christians, yeah, and, and pastors and folks who 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 spend their their time in God's Word and read it and research it and look at history and these various ways. So, yes, absolutely. There's a way that seems right to a man, and look how opposite it is. It seems right, but it's really a path on the way to death. And notice it's this is what the devil did to Adam and Eve, right? I mean, literally. The devil's like, oh, you're not going to die. And he was right, in a sense. You're not going to keel over and die, right? Just, pfft. I mean, spiritually they did, and technically they did because they started the process of dying. But look, it, the, it, it's there's a, a way that seems right, and it seems right because you're like, well, I'm not going to die if I tell a lie. But indeed, that's a lot of times the path we go down to. It starts with a little bit of sin, and then it's just a snowball effect. Harper said the, um, the intent of the flesh is not awesome. That the intent of the flesh is not awesome. That's right. Very good. It is the way to death. Yep. All right. Any, any last thoughts as we move on? Yeah. And the, the fellow, they call it the, um, the consolation of, of the Christian church, the consolation of our fellow Christians. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Matt, you were going to say something. Yeah, so this study Bible says that the way that seems right, you know, oftentimes, because you know, often you have multiple options, and the way that seems right requires few sacrifices. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, mm-hmm. oftentimes they appeal to you because it allows you to be lazy, mm-hmm. it doesn't require you to change. And it says that often the right choice requires hard work and self sacrifice. I don't like that. Why'd you read that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's yeah, that oftentimes is the temptation. Very good. Now, is that was out of what what study Bible did you read that out of? NIP. Oh no. no. I'm kidding. Oh great. Very good. Very good. That's a nice note. Thank you for reading that. Okay, um verse 13. Or anything else? Anybody else? Yeah, really, that, that summed it up well. Could we also say that, you know, our our way is not God's way? Mm-hmm. As, as that's what God says, um, my ways are not your ways. My time is not your time. Yeah. Okay, we'll continue on. Even in laughter, the heart may ache and the end of joy may be grief. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. I, I, you know, that verse 15 um, is, is pretty important too. Even St. Paul says speaks about this when he says the spiritual person judges all things. And this is a temptation. Our, you know, our world sees judgment just as, judgment just means you're, you're telling me what I'm doing is wrong. You know, you can't judge me. Um, but St. Paul in I can't remember if it's 1st or 2nd Corinthians. He says the spiritual person is to judge all things. So we are to judge. We are Christians. We just need to know what judge, judging means, what, what it means to judge something, as in you're going to hell for this um, versus, well, you know, you're a Christian and you're sinning in weakness. Uh, let, let's talk about this. Um, but the simple believes everything, doesn't judge anything, but the prudent judges, right, gives thought to his steps. So I think this verse 15 re, uh, sort of touches on what we were just talking about, right? The simple believes everything, meaning every, they, don't, they don't pause and give thought to what's happening. They just do what feels good to them. They just do what feels right. There's no uh, contemplation or going to God's word or going to fellow Christians who we trust and know which also implies we should be a resource for people also. Verse 16, One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil bow down before the good, the wicked at the gates of the righteous." The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. <laughs> yeah. That's a good. That is a good question. Yep. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Good Bible story and remembrance. remembering of that is, uh, of course, you know, Jesus' admonition to blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are we when we take care of the poor. Uh, we remember the story of Lazarus, who's at the gate of the rich man. Do they not go astray who devise evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. A truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. In the fear of the Lord one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. In a multitude of people is the glory of a king, but without people a prince is ruined. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Is there a New Testament passage that speaks to verse 31? Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who's generous to the needy honors his maker. Verse 31. Any New Testament stories, teachings of Jesus come to mind? Yeah, Matthew 25. Absolutely. The sheep and the goats and the sheep come forward. And um, Jesus, you know, Jesus says, you know, you, you have eternal life. Um, you know, you fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You visited me when I was in prison. And the sheep said, when did we do this? We don't remember this. And Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of these, you have done for me. So this seems to be um, verse 31 is, is the same idea, this thing that Jesus is, is building it on, right? That, um, you know, what we do, right? If we avoid helping those who are in need, we insult, right? And look at the connection, you know, the creation idea. And I, I think I heard a, in talking about a, abortion and, and things like that, I, I heard a student, um, you know, saying, well, you know, we have abortion because if a mother, you know, has a child and she's too poor to take care of it, you know, we need to have abortion for that. And, you know, I was trying to talk about how, you know, we're made in God's image and every life is valuable. And I said, so if your, if your mom and dad run out of money, they lose their jobs. Can we kill you? Uh. Right. Yeah. Think about it a little bit. You know, you know, when is that conclusion ever good? Right. When does that conclusion ever promote and honor the maker? Right. Um, when, when does that, you know, the poor and those in need, they they are they are the same as we are. And they, they have the same creator, the same maker as we do. Um, and not to not to look down or insult them, um, to be generous. With that, also setting back and looking at, you want to do that, but then the worldly possessions that you don't want to give up for a child of God, so your nails, your phone, the new car that you got, you could have done, you know, you're, you're choosing the worldly possessions over the child, you could have rearranged things, but you don't yeah. have to do that, because. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that temptation uh, to not to not value to not value life and to not value the things of God. Being generous brings honor to God. Okay. The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. Mm. Wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of fools. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. A servant who deals wisely has the king's favor, but his wrath falls on the one who acts shamefully. So verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. This came up a little bit uh, in the men's Bible study on Thursday and talking about things especially, and in particular, uh, was that Ohio voted to have, I don't know the exact language, but they had a, um, a ballot to put, uh, part. you know, excuse me if my language is wrong here, but to accept and to enshrine the right to abortion in their state constitution, right? And we had Roe Ro versus Wade Uh, Roe v. Wade overturned, and so states now are allowed to decide for themselves. And it was a measure on the ballot that Ohio would allow for abortion at a particular time and whatever. Um, You know, this the discussion in the men's Bible study was, you know, this the fact now, uh, the fact now that you've got, you know, legal and free abort legal probably free, uh, abortion and the murdering of, of children, you know, the, the question is, you know, is this God's judgment? Uh, and, and the discussion kind of went in that direction, that the fact that, they, that it was up for a vote, right, was bad enough, but then the fact that it was approved was God's judgment on, on the people. That the fact that the law, that it was enacted, and they got their way, right, is a sign of God's judgment. That God a lot of times prevents us by His in his mercy, right, so that we don't just, society doesn't just completely cave in on itself in chaos and darkness. God upholds it right, for a certain amount of time, and we see this throughout the Old Testament over and over again, that God, he kind of, you know, he tells the waves, right, in the book of Job, God uses the picture of the ocean, right, he says, who do you think tells those waves to stay and not wash over the land and kill everyone? Who do you think it is that tells those waves, here you shall not pass? And so then there's also examples when a people reject God's Word, they reject the faith, and he says, Okay, waves, this is what they want. They love death, we'll give them death. As an enacted way of, of God's judgment. There's a passage in, I think it's 1 Timothy. Um, here's, that, here's that Google, right? Uh, first. Timothy. Timothy, I think it's 4. It's an interesting passage, and I stumbled on it this week. Um, There's a passage um, where Paul is telling Timothy that there are some times when God's judgment is withheld. There are some times... God's judgment for our sin isn't revealed for a while, but then there are also times when God's judgment happens immediately. And so this is kind of the discussion with, you know, when a nation... Um, yeah, this isn't it. I can't find it right now. I should have kept it up. But this whole idea here, you know, we talk about how voting and, and democracy is like this most wonderful form, a way of government, and we can see now that it's not. We can start seeing now its weaknesses. I mean, I, I may be pushing it a little bit far, um, but here now we see this idea that righteousness will exalt a nation, uh, but sin is a reproach to any people. So now we have, <clears throat> you know, we have people in Ohio, folks and Christians now who are living with the reality that their offspring are going to have the option to kill their chil- their grandchildren and great-grandchildren and erase their lineage from the history of the world. So it's a very sad time and it's a very difficult thing especially to read a proverb like this that that speaks that God takes these things seriously. He's not just he's not an old, you know, old man sitting on the porch in a rocking chair who says, "Oh, I wish people would be nice to each other." He 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 brings judgment on sin sometimes immediately, and even for a nation, for a people, right? He brings judgment. Sometimes it takes a little while, but other times it's so wicked, he brings judgment right away. So I got to figure out what Timothy passage that is, uh, and I'll bring it for you next week. But uh, we're seeing the Proverbs, we're seeing it in real life. We're seeing it happen, uh, that God removes his hands and says, "Okay." You know, and God did that for Israel in the Old Testament multiple times, so it should not come as any surprise to us. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay, let's close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us your word, that your Holy Spirit guides us. When we would seem to think that a path is right to us, we thank you that your Holy Spirit guides us and directs us, and your wisdom instructs us and gives us strength to turn from temptation, remembering that you always give us a way out. Forgive us, Lord, uh, where we have not turned, but where we have indeed sinned. And we pray that you would, in your mercy, uh, be kind to us, that you would be gentle with us, and that you would revive us with your absolution and your forgiveness, that you would surround us with wise people that know your word, And that we, too, would also be those who know your word, that we might be able to instruct others when they come to us and ask us. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Um, Grant us wisdom as we are surrounded in a fallen world. But remind us of the victory that we have in your Son, Jesus, even over death and evil. That in the end, you and your Son and us stand victorious. That in the end, we win because Jesus has won is raised, and will bring us to himself. Come quickly, Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.